This morning you're going to hear two scriptures, not just one, two, both from the Gospel of Matthew. They're both very familiar and they both have deep meaning as we close out this nine-month study of the Gospel of Matthew. And as David comes up and prepares to do this, I, I want to invite you to, if you can, find a Bible readily available to you this morning, to have one uh, available to you. And we're going to walk through pieces of the Gospel of Matthew this morning. And so I just want to invite you to kind of be a part of this. And uh, listen to these two stories, though, not stories, these two statements of Jesus, because they do define who we are to be as unapologetically Christian. In the book of Matthew... Chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. From Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thank you. What was it about... Leave it to Beaver and Father Knows Best that made them such popular shows. I think part of it was that the the roles were absolutely crystal clear. The responsibilities were there. The consequences, even with that young, challenging man named Eddie Haskell, were also pretty clear. And I can say all these words to you because I think many of us in this room remember those shows. And now we've moved into a time where some of that is less clear. And I want to talk about clarity. I shared first service, I will share again here, that these last two weeks have been, um, I, I guess a good word would be challenging, because I've gotten more flack for those last two sermons than I have gotten for any other set of sermons that uh, I've ever preached here. I've taken plenty of flack for sermons in other, um, in other congregations, but here particularly, The last two weeks were challenging, I think, for many. And my hope is that what you're going to see are these three sermons is is almost a trilogy, because you can't have those two without this one. 
And it was a little heartbreaking, I'll share with Jenny, because she was there at first service, that we didn't have as large a first service as we normally have, and how many came up to me and said, it would have been so important for so many to hear what you said at first service this morning. But it's also Father's Day, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm really wanting to be sensitive to that fact, and that right now, I think this gospel gives us a clear roadmap on even what it means to be a father. But what I want to do is I want to walk through pieces of the gospel one more time. And so I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 1. And let's kind of walk through this together. And we're not going to, believe me, we're not going to go through the whole thing. Uh, I'd like to be out of here before 2. The other temptation this morning was that I have this stool that I sit on when I teach my Bible studies. And everybody in Bible study knows that. And I was going to bring it in and put it right down there and just make a class out of this. But I thought, nah, uh, that'll come at another time. What you have at the beginning of this gospel is often not preached about. It is the genealogy of Jesus. And the genealogy of Jesus in the gospel of Matthew is completely different than the genealogy that you see, for instance, in the gospel of Luke. And there's a reason for that. And Matthew gives us an immediate glimpse about what this gospel is going to be about. And even who's in and who's out. And oh, by the way, not everybody's in. Everybody has the potential of being in. Everybody. But not everybody's in. And so here we have this list. And on this list are some very, very unusual characters. There are, four, there are three women on this list. And two of these women are prostitutes. One is Ruth, who is not even Jewish. And then you have a bunch of other characters here, including one of the worst kings in the history of Israel. And again, the door gets cracked open just a little bit about who's in and who's out. But then immediately, what does Matthew do? If you look now toward the end of that, immediately we're introduced to this 13 or 14-year-old unwed mother. And believe me, being an unwed mother in this time is completely different than being an unwed mother today. The law said, and the law was crystal clear, crystal clear, that the elders of the community should have taken her out to the edge of the city and stoned her to death. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not be pregnant without being married. Period. But look at this story. Enter in this man named Joseph, who is betrothed, dedicated to this young woman, finds out that she's pregnant, and wants to break the law in order to protect her. But then something amazing happens, and it should take our breath away, and it doesn't because we're too familiar with this story. Who comes to, who comes to Joseph to give him a message? Thank you. An angel. An angel. And where do angels come from? God. An angel, a messenger of God, comes to Joseph and says to him, basically, break the law. Break the law and surround her and protect her. Do not have her stoned to death because the gift that is within her needs to live. 
It's an amazing story. And so she does carry this baby full term. And the baby is born in this obscure little nothing dust bowl town called Bethlehem. But in the midst of this, if you keep going, there are these characters who come from a different place. And we call them the wise men or the magi. And by the way, they were not Jewish. And they came and as they had to, they went to first the king, God's chosen, whose name was Herod. And Herod welcomed them with open arms. Didn't he? And he said in his own wonderful way, O wise men, please go and find the child that you seek and then come back and tell me where he is so that I too may go worship him. And I may worship him for about two minutes and then I'll kill him. Because I'm Herod. And I need to be in power. Because that's what this is all about. And the door cracks open a little farther about who's in and who's out. And then the wise men go, do they not? And they keep following, what was that? A, a star, which is a light. And they keep following the light to the place where the baby has been laid. And what do they do when they get there? They bow before him, and that's right. They worship him, and then they offer their gifts to him. And suddenly the door opens wider about who is in. And this is the pattern that we're going to see. Jesus grows up. He goes into, uh, he gets baptized, and then immediately after baptism, and God says, this is my child in whom I am well pleased, rises out of the water, and heads for where? Vegas. Well, it is a desert. He heads for the desert. And in the desert, he is tested. And he has to come to terms with three things. And here's the deal about those three things. And I want to just take a little caveat and apologize to the Bible study who've already heard all of this. But it's good to review. So... And look at the thing, three things that are testing Jesus, those challenges. And if you'll notice, they are the very three things that if you went to Jerusalem on that day and saw what the leaders were doing, they were practicing those three elements. They knew those authorities, those temple authorities in Jerusalem, that it was all about power and security. And if you look at those things, if you look at those things, they're all about power and authority and security. And Jesus basically answers, that's not what this is about. Crack open the door a little farther about who's in and who's out. But I want to take one step back. When Jesus was in Bethlehem and born there, Herod knew that he wanted him dead. So that same angel that came to them before, to Joseph, now comes to Joseph again and says, flee and take the child to, to Egypt. For out of Egypt, says the prophecy, I will call my son. And I just want to remind us of what happened in Egypt a long time before this, and that was that, <coughs> that the people were enslaved. And I want you to hold that intention because the people are enslaved in Jesus' time. 
the people are enslaved and God sends someone to bring them out. And what do they do? But they, they escape from Egypt because of God's providence. And God, in one point in the midst of this wilderness, has Moses go up on, what's it called? To get the Ten Commandments? A mountain. And Moses receives those laws and immediately comes down. And as soon as he comes down, what does he face? But the fact that at least half the people are not worshiping God anymore, but worshiping one of the other gods of Egypt. And in his own passion, Moses heaves these stone tablets and they crack open and and half the people are gone, are killed as a consequence to that. So he has to go back up to the mountain, get another tablet, two tablets, and comes back down and he carries those tablets in this Ark of the Covenant um, throughout and they are to be the centerpiece of all of um, Israel. Okay, so now back forward. Jesus comes out of the desert and he begins to choose people. Notice that he's not choosing those people from where he's supposed to be choosing those people. Matter of fact, he's not even living where he's supposed to be living. Because if he was anybody, he'd be living in Jerusalem. But he's nobody, so where does he move? Up north. To Galilee. Galilee is that hybrid place, that place where they practice some kinds of pieces of Judaism and they practice some kind of pieces of Greek and they, you know, they, they just become. And, and by the way, who was the first one chosen? The Michael Jordan of faith. The Kobe Bryant. What was it, Betty? And what was his name? Simon. Simon, Peter. He chose a fisherman. And this fisherman doesn't know the Bible. And what did the fisherman do? Not just Simon, but Andrew, James, and John. They drop everything. They have have a decision. This is not somehow Holy Spirit manipulation. He gives them a decision. You can keep doing what you're doing or drop everything and come and follow me. The door opens a little wider to who's in. And so they do. And then we get to Matthew 5. And if you look at Matthew 5, we have to immediately look at the beginning of Matthew 5. And where does Jesus go to offer new law? Thank you. Up on the mountain. Just stay with me, Betty. He goes up on the mountain. And what does he teach? The first lesson he teaches, the first words out of his mouth. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are you who understand your own spiritual poverty. Because if you understand that first, then you will get everything else that I'm trying to communicate. If you don't go there first, you will never understand. We heard David read that this morning, but in a different kind of way. Love God first with all that you are. And then as you go on the Beatitudes, these new lessons on the mountain, we see that it's also about loving our neighbor with mercy and compassion. And these are amazing lessons, but he doesn't stop there. So he calls He teaches, then what does he do? He goes out and he shows exactly what he's talking about. And if you look at 
chapters 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 and 10, particularly what you're going to find are healings. But here's the deal about those healings, friends. Almost without exception, those people in need of healing went to Him. They went to Him. They sought Him out. There's a story uh, of the Syrophoenician woman toward the end of this gospel. And the Syrophoenician woman goes to him, and by the way, she was an absolute hated enemy of anything Hebrew or Israel. Hated enemy. And she comes in a very shrill way and demands that he, demands that he heal her daughter. And she, he absolutely rejects her. Rejects her. Matter of fact, he doesn't just reject her, he calls her a dog. And then she comes back. She's persistent and comes back. And this time, in a very humble way, kneels before him and says, please, please, heal my daughter. And he does. If you look at places like chapter 23, what we see are called the seven woes. And the seven woes are directly pointed, directly pointed at the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, and the scribes. And again, these folks are practicing something else. They're practicing not trusting God. They're not coming humbly before God. They are practicing an amazing array of power-hungry things, and Jesus challenges them in an incredible, powerful way. And what we do then is the door opens even wider to who's out. And he comes back to his disciples and he talks about love and grace and forgiveness and God. And oh, by the way, not once, not once does Jesus say that the power that he has is his own. Not once. He always points back to God as that power, flowing through him to be able to do any of these things, including having the confidence to teach it. If you understand and remember your Old Testament, the things that he identifies in those seven woes are exactly the same things that caused major issues with the Israelites long before this. And every time you practice that kind of power and the lack of trust of God, destruction happens. And not once, not twice, but three times, these people are basically destroyed. But then Jesus comes back. And in this of that, in a very courageous way, he enters into the temple. And he offers himself up as a living sacrifice. And they don't get it. But in the midst of that, guess what else happens? We're introduced to a level of forgiveness and grace that we have yet to see. Because even those closest to him become frightened and insecure. And they deny him. They deny even knowing him. And yet... On the other side of that equation, 
is that forgiveness and grace. And by the way, the destroyers didn't win. They didn't win. So here's the point of all of this and the point of the Gospel of Matthew. The point is that it's really all about the wise men. It's all about the way that the wise men choose to live. It's all about following and choosing to follow a light. And choosing to follow. It's all about choosing. Blessed are you who understand your own spiritual poverty. But then, the next step is to humbly kneel before this one and know what it is that he is offering. Out of that humble kneeling before this one then comes the openness and acceptance of being filled by the power that filled him, that power of the Holy Spirit. And out of that, that loving God first, amazing things happen. Miraculous things happen. And what happens in the midst of that is as we are filled with that power, that love, that grace, there are fruit that happens within us. And Paul helps us know what those are. And they are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, even self-control. But here's the other piece of it. The equation doesn't work outside of community. And so community has to be a part of that. And then with those things in place, then we look beyond our doors. And we prayerfully consider who are those folks in need of healing, no matter what the healing may be. Whether it's two weeks ago introducing you to Rhonda, prostitute, or those who are without hope, or those who are unsafe, No matter what it is, it is through the Holy Spirit that we're able to identify who it is that we are to be serving. But it has to go back. It has to go back to Jesus. And that is exactly what I say to my Buddhist priest friends. It is exactly what I said to Rambaru my Krishna friend, that what I choose to follow, I believe, is the greatest power in the universe. I am absolutely, unapologetically Christian. Unapologetically Christian. I am a follower of Jesus. I'm a believer in transformation by the power of God. Why? Because I got hit upside the head by a four by eight one day when I was going the wrong direction. And I got hit by that incredible, powerful piece of love. And my life was changed and will be changed forever. You really think I want to be a pastor? 
on this Father's Day, I watched what it did to my father. But here's the deal. When you get hit upside the head by a 4 by 8 and that 4 by 8 says, this is where I need you to be. Guess what? I got to listen. So my question to you in closing, are you seeking Him? Are you seeking Him? Are you with your whole being trying to find Him? And as you find Him, are you willing to move beyond your own needs and see as first priority serving Him? Is He the one who is defining you as a human being? And today, is He the one who is defining you as a father. Unapologetically Christian. Is he the one? And how is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control going for you? And if it's not going as well as you'd like, I want to challenge you to turn back and remember first, your own spiritual poverty and turn to him again. One other caveat, quick. God doesn't just let go of those who are out, ever. God sought to surround Herod. God sought to surround the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. God seeks to surround any and every, every person to bring them back into this right relationship of love and grace. Every person. But there has to some point be a choice. Have you made that choice? To be filled with this power and guided by this Savior. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for this gospel this gospel of Matthew. We thank you that you are, in fact, a power that flows through all of humanity, continually seeking for a greater good. And that when we enter into that flow of power, we too become servants for a greater good. Jesus taught us what that means. Jesus showed us what that means. And now we ask that you help each of us to decide again, to search, to find, to follow. In Christ's name, amen.